Good evening, guys. How are you all doing? Good. Don't get carried away, will you? Enjoying the rugby this weekend? Oh, uh, this, morning, this morning, everyone cheered, hence, suggesting there's quite a few English people today, a bit more of negativity, but I think it's been a great weekend for rugby. But anyway, I hope you're doing well. I've got a bit of a cold, I have to confess. I think it's 50-50. I'll make it through the night, but I'm hoping to just push through and fight through. But we're in the series on the Sermon on the Mount, and I think you'll agree it's been excellent, but it's also been challenging. It's been hard at times to look at the life of Jesus. And as we look at what it means to live, to love, to learn, to follow Jesus in all areas of our lives, we realize it's challenging. It's hard, it's difficult to imitate the life of Jesus. And what we've seen from a journey on the Sermon on the Mount is we started with looking at character. And we particularly looked at what it is to have humility and integrity and generosity, to be people of godly character, people of substance. And then we looked at what it is to be influenced. It progresses through, what does it mean for me to be a Christian in the marketplace, at the school gates, at the student halls? What does it mean for me to be a person of influence? And then it went on to righteousness and holiness. How can I live a holy and righteous life? But tonight we're starting to unpack what does it mean for us to live this out in community, to love one another, to be in relationship with each other. And the truth is, isn't it, that being a Christian is easy on our own, right? I mean, this church would be utterly brilliant if it was just me. I'm not actually that pretentious, by the way. But we, it's hard. When we live in community, it's hard to be in relationship. It's hard to live this stuff out together. But we're challenged to look at this and to live it out amongst one another, to be in the community, to be as a family, and to model this stuff, to work it out, to live and lead and love and serve like Jesus in community. So why don't we dive into Matthew 7. Matthew 7. It'll be on the screen if you haven't got a Bible with you. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. From the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the means you used, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to a plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. I'm also just going to read from the message, which is just a different kind of version. It just helps us get a different perspective. So the message. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, when your own face is distorted by contempt? Is this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again? Playing a holier than vow part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face and you might be fit off a washcloth to your neighbor. Why don't I just pray as we reflect on this passage? Yeah, Lord, just come before us now. We pray against this being a self-help exercise, good advice. We pray this won't be information, it will be transformation. We open our hearts and minds, not because of what I'm going to say, but because of what you want to say to us tonight. I pray that we would know your love and your grace and equally your challenge and provocation. Amen. So we love to judge and comment and critique on everything, don't we? Maybe it's just me, but I just think sometimes as a British culture, we love just to feedback and critique and comment and share our opinion on almost everything. The classic one is the weather, right? 
So what happens with the weather is we moan all year round. It's cold, it's wet, it's always dark, it's always miserable. The days are really short now. It's awful living in Edinburgh. It's awful living in Scotland. Britain, the weather is so bad. And that one day, normally in June, when it's a sweltering 20 degrees C, what do we do? Can't work in this weather, can you? This is too hot. This is unbearable. How can they expect us to go out in this heat? It is horrible. We moan about everything. By the by, this has nothing to do with my sermon, but I do distinctly remember about a year ago driving past the meadows. I looked at a dashboard. It said 11 degrees Celsius. And I kid you not, it was a sunny day. There were some guys out topless. That cannot be okay, can it? Anyway, it was a sweltering 11 degrees. But we look at our celebrities and we so often objectify them. We so often look at them and say, it's all right on social media. It's all right in relationship. It's all right in conversation just to bombard them with criticism. It's all right just to say what we want about them. It's all right to comment from afar and critique people as much as we possibly want to. Or dare I say the B word, Brexit. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure the guys have made some mistakes. I'm the first to challenge that. But we've set them up for failure because everything they do and say, we're going to critique, we're going to call them out on. It's almost impossible because we love to criticize, we love to condemn, we love to judge. And this passage challenges our attitude. And the message talks about a critical spirit. Do you have a critical spirit? Do I have a critical spirit? Am I someone who, when I go into a room, I energize and infuse and bring positivity? Or do I bring negativity? Do I pull the room down? Do I drag the room down? Is a glass half full or half empty? You see, it's so easy for us to love hanging one another's dirty laundry out. It's so easy for us just to love pulling people apart in our conversations. Well, if you look at how that person raises their kids. Terrible, isn't it? They're so bad with their kids. Their kids are an absolute nightmare. Those students, look at how they just, they get their grades, but they don't study. What are they thinking? How can they do that? Look how they spend their money. They're always spending money. They're spending money like there's no tomorrow, but it's not okay if they spend their money or the Christian one, for those of you who've been around church. I'm telling you for your prayers, okay? I'm talking to you about this for your prayer. Please pray for this person because they're gossiping, they're angry, they're doing all this stuff. But please, I'm telling you for their prayers. Our words, our actions, our behavior matters. How we love one another, how we relate to each other matters. And the only way we can avoid saying things out of turn is by not saying anything unhelpful at all. I was in a situation about a month ago I remember distinctly thinking to myself, this could really escalate. This could be really unhelpful. It could dishonor people. It could be hurtful. It could be harmful. So in every conversation, I remember distinctly thinking to myself, I'm going to be really guarded and careful about what I say in this situation. And the truth is, it did escalate. Someone got quite upset. But I could look them in the eye and say, I can promise you, I've said everything to honor you, to honor and serve and love others. The only way we can be sure that we're not going to hurt and undermine people is by speaking well of one another, by not being critical, by not being judgmental. Are we known as a church and individuals for our love or our judgment? Are we known for our criticism or our care? Are we known for people who love one another and want the best for one another or are we known to pull people apart? And the truth is, perhaps we hear from our friends at university, we hear from those beyond the church, but the church is so often known for its judgment and not its love. There's a great story about a guy called Charles Spurgeon who was a minister in London in the 19th century. And his church was growing and flourishing and his successor, a guy called Archibald Brown, was leading the church. And the church was flourishing and growing exponentially. It was amazing what was happening. 
And a young minister came up to him and said, I'm doing everything you're doing. I'm trying my hardest. I'm living in a similar area. I'm using the same tactics, the same strategies. But for some reason, your church is flourishing and growing. Mine just isn't. What am I doing wrong? And Archibald Brown said to him, does your church have prostitutes? He said, of course it doesn't have prostitutes. Why would we allow prostitutes into our church? He said, well, there's your answer. You're judging people. You're not loving people. Are we known as a loving church? Are we known as loving individuals or judgmental? I've been at this church now for five years, and I have to say, largely, I've been overwhelmed, bowled over by the grace and love of this church. I've been just so encouraged how we speak well of one another, how we affirm one another, but I'm sure we can do more. And equally, in a time of transition and change of season we're in, I'm sure that the devil would love to get a foothold. I'm sure that words could unhelpfully undermine or criticize or pull people down. Our words, the way we judge, the way we love, the way we serve, really matter. We need to be so careful with how we relate to one another, what we say. A guy called William Perkins famously said this, don't listen to the devil even if he's telling the truth. Don't listen to the devil even if he's telling the truth. Our words can so easily undermine us because we're called not to judge, but to love one another. We're called to love one another. And our words can hurt and they can heal. They can liberate and they can limit. They can drag you down. They can pull you up. Our words, our actions matter. And throughout scripture, we see in the New Testament, Jesus talks about how we're called to love each other. We're called to love one another. And he's asked on two occasions, what is the greatest commandment? He says, the greatest commandment is you love God with all your heart, mind, body, and strength. Loving God is the number one thing. And a few moments later, someone asks him, what's the greatest thing? What, what am I meant to do as a follower of you, Jesus? And he says, the greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, Jesus, well, which is it? Is it to love God or is it to love our neighbor? Is it to love others? It's two sides of a coin. It's both. As we worship God, we love others. As we love others, we worship God. We show Jesus our love. We demonstrate him living in and through us, through our love. In the New Testament, it uses the word agape. And we don't have different words for love, do we? We say we love pizza, but we also love our mum or our children. Hopefully to different degrees. Live at least does. But we use the same word, but they've deliberately got different words because agape means selfless love. It means to go above and beyond. It means to love regarding of what we get back from it. It's to love regardless. Jesus goes on to say to love your enemies, to love those who are vulnerable, to love those who are broken, to love those who are marginalized. We are called to love, to not judge. A few years back, about 15 years ago, I was preaching in a church in just outside London in a place called Watford, a really small church, and it had all sorts of personalities, should we say. And they had this kind of thing which was quite frustrating, to be honest, where you'd preach and one or two people would just get up and comment. Please don't do that tonight. It's not very helpful. But I was preaching and I was talking about how we are called to love others. We're called to love those on the fringe of society. And a guy literally stood up and said, I think you're wrong. That was really encouraging for a new 20-year-old preacher. And I said, thank you great but I think God asked us to love one another and he said no I think you're wrong and he walked out in a huff I saw him over a coffee later and I said you know I think Jesus would love others I think Jesus would love the enemies he would love the terrorists he'd love those people of different religions and the guy said yeah but I'm not Jesus am I and walked off I said fair point you're not Jesus (laughs) 
Can't really argue with that. But we're called to love others as Jesus has loved us. We're called to love people from all sorts of backgrounds, religions, people who are seen as our enemies. We're called to love way beyond ourselves. I've been reflecting recently on how, as a church, we can so easily be known as a people of judgment. And what can happen is that we can be known to have comments on sexuality or people living together or on how we spend our money, on how people do our tax returns, on how people gossip. We have a perspective on everything. But I'm sure the challenge to us is that we love people. We're known for our love. We recognize that he's the judge very clearly in this passage, not me, not us. And what we're trying to do is let them know the intimacy of God's love, to let them know relationship and family, to let them know community, to let them know that we want to journey with them no matter their past, their future, no matter their choices in life, and we love them and care for them and walk with them. And we let Jesus judge, and we point them to Jesus and allow him to speak truth. Of course, there's a space to speak truth, but it's got to come from a place of relationship and community, not from a place of judgment. This passage clearly says, do not judge. It doesn't say, judge less. It says, do not judge. And understand it's not ignoring injustice. There's a place to speak up against injustice. There's a place to speak up to the fact that there's children in our city struggling. There's a space to speak up against the fact that there's people in poverty. There's people struggling around the world. Yes, it's not ignoring injustice. It's coming to God for healing. My wife, Adele, I've said it before, but she had a very abusive upbringing. And for her, she's had to know healing. She's had to fight injustice because of that. It's not to ignore that. And equally, it's not to say that we can't challenge or critique. There's time to give feedback. There's time to share our perspective. There's time to challenge and say, look, this is my perspective. I want to help you better. One of the things I love about the German culture, apparently, is that critique is just known as a good thing. You expect feedback. You expect people would come to you with their comments and feedback but it's to improve, it's to better you it's to help you look and act more like Jesus or to be a better person it's not that we ignore justice it's not that we aren't called to challenge and critique at times it's that we recognise that he's one that judges, not me God to judge, not us he's fair, he's good, he's always right our perspective is always skewed and unfair there's a great story about a baseball player called Babe Root, and this is years ago, but he, in front of 40,000 fans, hit a home run, and they were screaming, going ballistic, but the umpire called it out. And they were going ballistic, and he was like, you can't ignore that, but it was definitely a home run. And they said, yeah, but the crowd were going crazy, and the umpire said, look, I'm sure that was out. And they had an argument, and he said, look, how can you not call that home run? 40,000 people are screaming for the home run. And the umpire said, but mine is the only opinion that matters. The same is true. It's not our perspective. It's not our judgment. No matter what we think, it's he's the judge. He's the one who calls things out, not us. And the challenge to this passage, perhaps the most challenging part of the scripture we've just read, is that he judges us according to how we judge others. We're judged based on how we judge others. If we want to occupy the courtroom bench, don't be surprised when we find ourselves in the dock. If we want to sit in the courtroom bench and judge others, then don't be surprised when we find ourselves in the dock receiving more judgment. It's recognizing that he's the one that knows motives. He's the one that knows why situations happen. He knows hearts and minds, not us. We so easily jump to conclusions and judgment because we're not really sure of motives. I'll never forget when I was at primary school. I don't know why I remember this, but 
when I was at primary school, I was really frustrated because some of my friends were clearly talking about me and clearly chatting to one another. I was getting quite angry and frustrated, you know, why are you talking? And throughout the day, getting really annoyed, they were talking very obviously about me, wasn't particularly subtle, primary school kids never are, very obviously talking about me. And I went up to my friends and said, why are you doing this? It's really hard, you keep talking about me, what is it? You keep talking to me about me, what is it you're saying? And my friend said to me, if you must know, we're trying to sort out your birthday present. Oh, I was like, okay, I was wrong in that situation. We so easily jump to conclusions. God's the only one who knows motives and perspectives. We can so easily jump to conclusions. We can so easily make assessments and have a wrong heart and motives. Judging people is not good for us. It affects our mental well-being. It affects our health. It affects our social well-being. It affects our positivity. Being negative, being critical is not good for us. We're called to be different. We're called to be people of love, of positivity, of Jesus' encouragement. We're called to lift and not limit. We're called to heal and not hurt. We have to check ourselves before we call others into judgment. In this passage, Jesus talks about the plank being in his own eye and the spark, this speck of sawdust being in the other persons. And Jesus was a carpenter, and this is language he would have knew and understood. And he says that you can't judge someone else when they've got a small speck of sawdust in their eye and you've got a plank in your own eye. And he challenges us to look at the stuff in ourselves before we judge and contemn others. What is it that you need to deal with before you critique and feedback to others? What is that plank in your eye that's holding you back? What stuff are you projecting onto others before you're feeding into them? Jesus is speaking here to the Pharisees who were known for their judgment, known for their criticism. And he's saying, stop being holier than thou, it says in the message. Stop being judgmental and critical. Stop trying to pull people up. Look to the plank in your own eye. Look to yourself first. Check yourself. Check your own motives before you go to others. (laughs) I was thinking about this. I don't know why I'm sharing this tonight, but I will. A few years back, I was at a Christian conference, and I found myself very proud of my absolutely battered Bible. I've got a Bible next to my bed that's really battered, and the reason it's battered, to be completely honest, is I keep dropping it in the bath. Probably too much information for you, but okay. Keep dropping it in the bath, and it's battered, it's knackered. And I remember being at this conference, kind of pulling it out. <laughs> Look at this, you know, it's quite impressive. This is clearly a holy guy. And then actually internally thinking, that Bible's particularly new. You call yourself a Christian? How can you be a church leader? You've got this very new Bible that's not been particularly used. Holier than thou, we can so easily, for those of us who call ourselves Christian, place judgment and perspectives on others. We have to check ourselves first. We're not called to judge, we're called to love. Before we, before we look to others, we have to be careful we're not projecting our stuff onto them. Before we look to others, we have to check our own heart and motives. One of the challenges when we project our stuff is so often we look at someone and get frustrated, and actually what we're really doing is get frustrated with ourselves because they have personality traits or ways of doing things that actually reflect our own. That's easy for us as a parent to get really annoyed with our children because we see stuff in them that's actually stuff of ourselves. My wife Adele is particularly stubborn, as is my five-year-old. I'm perfect in our family, which is fantastic. But they're both very stubborn. And what I often see is like arguing, trying to out-stubborn one another, if that's a term. But they're just 
frustrated and she gets frustrated with him because she sees herself in them. When we project our stuff, we're actually getting frustrated with ourselves because we're looking at them. And the danger is, is we look at someone and think, why are you doing that? What is it you're doing that for? But what we're saying is that your faults are massive. Your faults are huge. But for me, I accept God's grace. I exasperate the the faults and flaws of you and make them huge and say those are inconceivable. But for me, I accept God's grace. We exasperate the faults of others. How much healthier would we be? How much healthier would we be as Christians if we looked to ourselves, our own motives, our own hearts, our own responsibilities, our own behavior before we looked to others? We need to check our own heart. Is there bitterness? Is there bitterness that's deep-rooted? If we don't receive the full inheritance of God, there'll be bitterness. God never wants to allow us to feel bitter because everything we could possibly want in this world is given to us. But when we fall short of that and don't fully receive our inheritance, there can be bitterness. Is there jealousy? Is there comparison? Why is that person succeeding? Why is that person getting that wealth? Why is that person doing really well? What about me? Is there jealousy? Is there comparison? Is there insecurity? Is there anger or frustration? I know I can often go to people and I can feel inside me this tense, this frustration, this anger building up and I can literally feel it in me. I go to people and project it onto them. Am I allowing that anger and frustration to lead? Or am I trying to play God? Do I not trust God that he can handle a situation? Do I not trust that he's the judge and I'm not? And I try and play God for him. I try and play his hand. So what do we do? What do we do when we have judgment? What do we do when we want to call things out in people? There will be times when we need to speak to people. There will be times when we need to challenge situations. But how do we handle it? The first thing we have to do is we have to go to God. We have to go to God and say, God, I want to bring this before you. I want your prayer and blessing upon this person. I want to know God's forgiveness. I want to know the love upon me. The scriptures challenge us to... Take it to God first and then to the individual. And then we take it to them. If it's right to go and speak to them after some prayer and accountability, do we take it to them? We're not trying to catch them out. We're not trying to win the argument. We're not trying to make them feel small. The goal is to help them be more like Jesus. We prepare well through prayer. Say, I want to speak to this person, but it's because I want to follow the Jesus command to speak to them directly. Not tell everyone else in the church, but go to them. I want to help them, my brother or sister in Christ, to be more like God. I don't want to be known for my judgment and my criticism. I want to help them look and act and live like Jesus. And then we speak to them. Nicky Gumbel talks about this, which I think is just practical, easy advice. Before we speak, we think, is it true? If it's just lies, if it's false, why are we bothering? Is it true? It has to be true. Is it done in a helpful way? Are we going to speak to them in a way that's helpful and helps them be more like Jesus? Are we inspiring them to be a better place? It's not just trying to put our stuff onto them, trying to project our issues onto them. We're inspiring them to be more like Jesus. Is it necessary? Do I need to have this conversation after prayer, after chatting to someone? And ultimately, as I blow my nose, is it kind? Is it done in a kind way? Am I there to love my brother or sister and be kind? How much gossip and hurt and pain could be avoided if we followed this? How much pain could I avoid if I took things to God and spoke to others with truth and love? Let's be a church and individuals who are known not for our judgment, but for our love. 
not but for our criticism, but for our care. You know, God can do what he wants. I absolutely believe that. He can do what he wants, when he wants, in and through his church. He can do what he wants, when he wants, in and through us as individuals. But I believe that there's something that correlates between a fertile, healthy, relational family and community that allows God to work more powerfully. It's just a perception, but I think he so often chooses to work through his family when they're loving and in good relationship with one another. Are we fertile soil for him to work through, where we love and care and look after one another? Dare I say that criticism and judgment and negativity can actually limit expectation, it can limit faith, it can limit God's plans, because rather than looking forward with expectancy and excitement, we're looking to one another with judgment and criticism. God has great plans, he's grateful of the past, but we look forward with excitement and expectation. I'm sure God wants to plant more churches, do incredible things in and through this church. He wants to see this city transformed by the goodness and love of his save, of his life and death and resurrection. He wants to see every sphere of this society changed by him. But I'm sure that it's from a place of love and care and relational family where we don't judge, where we don't pull each other out, where we don't criticize or condemn. We're known for our love and our goodness and Jesus working through our lives and family. You see, this starts with us. It starts with us being vulnerable before him and saying, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to know your grace and forgiveness where I've fallen short. But I want, because of your power and love working through me, I want to love my neighbor. I want to love the people in my church better. God's grace is always sufficient, but he wants us as individuals and as a community to be known for our love, to be known for his power working in and through us, to be known for his family, modeling to the world outside there what family could and should be. Why don't you stand if you're able and I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we're aware that this word is more stick than carrot. We're aware that it's challenging, it's hard, it's, it's tough just to read your word at times and recognize that there's at times a high bar. It's all because of your grace it's all possible because of who you are. But the Jesus way is a different way. Forgive me. Forgive us where we haven't hit the mark on this stuff. Where I've been known for my judgment. Where I've been known for calling people out in an unhelpful way. For being critical. For being negative. For not wanting the best. For not believing the best in others. Why don't we just have a moment just in silence just to come before God and just in complete silence be honest and vulnerable. Where have you fallen short of the mark? Where have you been critical and judgmental? But Lord, we thank you that because you lived and died and rose again, we're forgiven, we're restored, we're cleansed. We're healed because of who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you that we're never too far from your love, that we're always able to receive your love and grace and goodness. But help us individually and as a church, and a church across this nation, to be known for our love and not our judgment, to be known for our care and not our criticism. We pray that your love would just infiltrate powerfully in a new and fresh way and that we would relate to one another because of you working for us.
Holy Spirit, that's only possible if you empower us and equip us. And we invite you into our family tonight. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.